Welcome to Self Talk Show where we explore inspiring stories of individuals shaping sustainable future. I'm your show host Mitali Uhri and in today's episode we journey into the vibrant world of Cynthia Shoffer, a former financial advisor turned passionate advocate for sustainable living and edible landscaping. We delve into Cynthia's remarkable journey tracing her steps from the corporate world to the heart of nature in Devi, Florida. Discover how she turned her urban home into an edible paradise, weaving sustainability into the very fabric of her lifestyle. Learn about the ingenious integration of energy-efficient practices, waste reduction and water conservation. With this thought and energy, let us welcome Cynthia Shoffer. Cynthia, thank you so much for joining us on Self Talk Show. Let us begin your interview right away. Can you share with our audience a bit more about your journey from being a successful financial advisor to a passionate advocate for sustainable living in edible landscaping? Great question. Everybody wants to do some sort of midlife switch, right? To become to follow their passion instead of following their pocketbook. I was just really really lucky. I've always been passionate about sustainability. and I've always loved growing food and being anywhere where mother nature is. After 25 years as a financial advisor, I realized while I wasn't completely ready for retirement that if I was careful, I could do this pivot and I could do what I loved and have a much better quality of life. It's not that I hated being a financial advisor. It was actually I loved my clients. I loved the ability to help people because it doesn't matter whether it's physical wellness or financial wellness or the wellness of the planet. It's all about what you care about and what you do to make what you care about advance in the world that you live in. So for me, always been living sustainably. maybe not always, you know, the early years. But since I've been in this house, growing food has always been part of my life. And of course in South Florida we can grow food year round. When I realized that I really wanted to make a pivot, I had to make some hard choices because, you know, it's definitely economically a very different way of living, but I wouldn't I wouldn't trade it for all the world. It's a beautiful way to live to be just so in harmony with mother nature. To be able to just go out in the yard and pick food and bring it in and eat it. it it's I I feel vibrantly alive because of my lifestyle and I'm just forever grateful that I've been able to do this. Wow, that's quite an incredible journey. So let's head on to the next question. What motivated you to establish the South Florida Edible Gardening and Sustainable Living Collective? And what are some key initiatives and activities it promotes? If I would have known that I was going to have to say that name so many times, I would have made it a lot shorter. So South Florida Edible Landscaping and Sustainability, Edible Gardening and Sustainability came about because 
I had learned so much about permaculture and regenerative ag, although at the time they weren't calling it that. And I was in the process of turning my urban home with its you know, regular lawn and decorative landscaping and all the things you expect to see in, an, in a you know, neighborhood. And I was in the process of turning it into this sustainable, vibrant landscape, growing food, changing everything, including bringing in, starting to keep chickens and things like that. And the first meetup, quite frankly, I posted because I wanted to do a workshop and I wanted to have help with my work. So I had people come and they helped me do an area of the yard with lasagna bed gardening. And lasagna bed is simply, you start with newspaper or cardboard, you cover it with manure, you cover it with tree mulch, and you can layer that as much as you want. It's basic soil building, but it's a great way to take an area that is already established as a lawn you don't want to disturb the soil network, the soil web that's below whatever's growing. So by doing lasagna bed, you're actually feeding the soil web, which is made of mycorrhizal, you know, mycorrhizal networks and bacteria. And it's very important because it's really the, the soil web that creates all the magic because the bacteria are breaking things down. You're really feeding the bacteria instead of feeding the plant. So my motto is always feed the soil. You know, if you feed the soil, the soil will feed you. And so having people to help me do all this and to find like-minded people, we have a beautiful community here in South Florida and the Edible Gardening and Sustainability group grew like mad and it started out local we had you know six or seven hundred people but then we got a facebook group and the facebook group ended up really expanding our membership and it's wonderful because people they trade plants they trade seeds they they share knowledge it's a great place for people to especially people who are new to gardening to get a great deal of information one of the things that happens all the time down here is people come from up north so you're coming from a climate where you grow tomatoes in the summer we do not grow tomatoes in the summer here we grow tomatoes in the winter and it's a very very different way of growing food and there's a pretty steep learning curve and so the meetup group just full of really amazing people who are willing to share their time and their knowledge and their resources so that other people can grow food and it's been such a boon to our ability to do good things in the community because most of our volunteers come from within that group. In your work with the caring community that you co-founded, how do you integrate the cultivation of food for local food banks with sustainable and regenerative practices? Great question. You know, the I want to give kudos to uh, first our town, 
our town of Davie, Florida, has allowed us some town property to put gardens on. We have a garden at a local park that we have a food forest, a banana circle, we have herb gardens, we have a butterfly garden, we have teaching gardens, we run classes out there, and the, all the food that we grow goes to a local food bank. We did that whole thing, all of our gardening is regenerative. So we focus on soil building. Our motto is right plant, right place, right time. So any seasonal beds we do in the winter time, in the summer we're just growing you know, fruit trees, bananas, papayas, things like that. It's been a real journey to see how many people come out in the community and take positions of responsibility. Now, the one thing you have to understand about Florida gardening, we have fire ants. It is hot, it is humid. We have just obstacles like iguanas. We have iguanas everywhere. And an iguana can come in in one day and just take out your entire garden. We have garden leaders who volunteer to take the, the take over the garden and lead the groups of volunteers that show up. So they do the planning, they do the planting, they do the maintenance. And as I said earlier, volunteers just come out of the woodwork. More in the winter, of course, than the summer. In the summer, we kind of, you know, we let the gardens rest. So we have the gardens through the town of Davie. We have a, a member of the Karen community who took his house and he, from the day he bought it, he started turning it over using volunteers and he has created a food bank garden. His entire yard is a food bank garden and he's engaged his neighbors in the neighborhood. And in fact, when he takes his produce to the food bank that he takes it to, there is a line of people waiting because they so rarely get the fresh organic fruits and vegetables in the food banks. We also have a program where we do gleaning, which means, you know, in, in Florida, so many people have fruit trees in their backyards. A mango tree, I have a medium sized mango tree and it gives me 500 pounds of fruit. So when the fruit comes, a lot of people have access. And what we do is we have volunteers that go out. And on this, we partnered with the Society of St. Andrews, which is a, I'm not sure if they're national, but they're definitely regional. And they do gleaning of farms and everything. So our volunteers will go out to a home, of course, with the owner's permission, and we pick the fruit we take it to a food bank for the owners. The owners get a tax receipt for the donation. They don't have to worry about fruit rotting on the ground. It's a win-win-win. And of course, you know, when there's so much food to be able to get it to the people that want it is super gratifying. And it's just, that's mostly our summertime activity for the fruit trees and it's just fun to be out there for two or three hours picking fruit and hanging out with people that are just 
wonderful people because they're out there doing great things for their community with nothing, they get nothing in return but gratification for their work. In the wintertime, there are firms north of us that are organizer for the gleaning um, arm of our organization. She organizes for them to glean farms, so picking lettuce, tomatoes, you know, whatever the farmer is generous enough to donate. We've done things like we had a um, Gardens Matter giveaway, and what we did there is we gave away a hundred small starters for a mini food forest, and then we gave away 50 starts for a butterfly garden. And that enabled people to get started. And also, of course, we gave them the education along the way. That turned into our town did a, last year was the first annual Gardens Matter Day, where we had food trucks. We were out at our garden in that particular park. And we had food trucks and we had people educating about not only how to grow regeneratively, but about things like water, you know, like how do you build berms to control water? Because when we get a rainfall, we get a lot of rain at once. So when, whenever we're out in the community, our goal is get more people gardening, feed people that need to be fed, and try to reduce food waste in any way possible. We did a small cookbook because there's a lot of foods down here that are not getting eaten yet because people don't know what to do with them. But there are foods that are just so prolific that you just get buried in, you know, like there's a, a food called katuk, which grows as a bush and it's just greens everywhere. We have so many spinaches that grow well. It's really a very diverse and, and prolific area. And so in teaching people how to be sustainable, we're helping the area in general because we do have a problem here with um, a lot of people using pesticides monthly on their lawns. My neighborhood is a good example. We used to get ibis, which is a, a white bird. The ibis used to come and at a certain time of year and they would just go up and down the street eating all the insects in the yards. Many of my neighbors have started spraying so the insects aren't there, so the ibis aren't there. Eventually, if we don't do something, we're gonna have a, a catastrophic de decrease in pollinators, which is gonna be problematic for a lot of gardens. So education, encouragement, and like I said, the volunteers, just incredible. And I would say to anybody who's looking to do something in their area, there are 40,000 food bank gardens in the United States, probably more by now. There are so many places where you can look if you don't have a, a, a town that's open to offering you space, then there are faith organizations where you can help put in gardens. There's so many ways to grow food and having that fresh organic food is definitely life-changing. So wherever you can, grow food.
Well, that's amazing. Can you share your experience turning your urban home in Devi, Florida into an edible landscaping paradise? How do you incorporate sustainable practices like energy use, waste reduction and water conservation? Also, what types of edible plants have proven successful in your urban homestead? That's a wonderful question. In 2015, something really wonderful happened to me for my energy use. They say when you move towards something, that something move toward, moves towards you. I really wanted to put solar on the house, but it was pretty cost prohibitive. As it is, I don't use a lot of power, so for my my power usage is pretty low. I keep my air conditioner at 80 in the summer, um, and I don't air condition in the winter. So, but I have a pool and things like that. But I'm really good at conserving power. But I wanted to be, I wanted solar. I wanted it really, really bad. My electric company, Florida Power and Light, had a program that would give you a substantial help on putting solar on the house. So it was a program that I tried for two years in a row and didn't get in. It was really kind of crazy because they had X number of dollars. They would open up that ability at 8.30 on this, you know, a certain day. And you basically had to type as fast as you could, get all your information in, hit enter and hope that you got it. So the first two years I did not get it, but the third year, which was the last year of the program, I got it. I was so excited I called my solar guy and I'm like, I got this email, is this really, did I get it, did I get it? So the installation on my house, which is 95 kilowatts, I think, I'm not sure, but the it was $34,000. But FPNL gave me 18,000 of that and then there were tax breaks. So basically what it boiled down to is it was a 10 year payout in, in the use of my electricity. And, um, and it's just so nice to know that I'm using solar instead of something else. It's also when the power goes out, which it does from time to time, I have plugs so I can actually get it's not a full generator, it's not a full house generator. Someday, maybe I'll have, I'll, I'll be able to manifest some full house batteries. But for now, it, I have emergency power to run the refrigerator and the freezer and the, you know, whatever I need to charge during um, outages, which we have on occasion. The other things I do is, so there's no food waste. All the food waste goes to the chickens. All the chicken manure goes to the garden. I'm in the process right now of redoing my kitchen. My kitchen is 50 years old. What I did was I got on Facebook Marketplace and OfferUp, and I ended up getting used cabinets and countertops. And so I'm gonna be able to do redo my kitchen for really affordably. And I'm reusing things that people would otherwise have thrown out. 
We have some really wonderful people in the community that do a great job of making sure that nothing gets thrown out. So when I have things that need to be rehomed, I reach out to them. Of course, I have very little packaging waste because a lot of my food either is, you know, like I buy quinoa in bulk and, you know, quinoa and beans and things like that in bulk. And I don't eat hardly any processed foods, so there's very little packaging. And you know, it's really funny how living sustainably also aligns so perfectly with living a vibrantly healthy life. So I get tons of exercise. Now that I'm in my you know 60s, I have to make sure that I'm getting the exercise that I need to keep muscle mass and everything. And this lifestyle just you're always doing something. And so there's, uh, you get this fresh air, this exercise, you're out there in the garden, your hands are in the soil and the soil has bacteria that is been clinically shown, scientifically shown to reduce depression. I mean, it's ridiculous <laughs> some days how happy I am. I wake up feeling great. I'm full of energy, I go through my day, and it's just a blissful lifestyle. And I really wish that we could um, get that lifestyle for everyone. Can you elaborate on how your real BMI, with its incorporation of five elements, that is earth, air, fire, water, and ether, influences personal well-being and contributes to the health of our planet? I chose the title Your Real BMI because so many people are caught up in the metrics of wellness that aren't really as relevant as they could be. So weight, you know, weight is a big thing for a lot of people and it shouldn't be because healthy people maintain a healthy weight. Now we have a world that is full of toxins, which are hormone disruptors, which are a big piece in the obesity puzzle. Uh, obviously processed foods are another big piece in the obesity puzzle. What really woke me up when I was learning herbalism was the idea that what we're experiencing in our bodies can be correlated to the elements. So for example, I am a fiery person. I get fired up easily, I'm very passionate. I do not need to be fired up by anything external. In fact, what I need is I need to have earth to ground me and water to moisten me and ether to cool me because that's how we achieve balance, right? We, we offset one element with another. When you learn the system, you, you, you learn what is your base constitution, right? So if you're a watery person, right, you need to incorporate fire into your life. And that can be through exercises or breathing or foods or all these things. But the 
premise, the foundation of all of the traditional wellness practices talks about the elements. And when you look at the world around you, even our languaging of wellness and illness can be seen in the terms of the elements, you know? Burning up with fever, I have inflammation, um, I'm, I'm retaining water, all these things. When you take the test in the real BMI, or if you get the U playbook, you have a, a separate journal to take the journey with. You answer these questions, the first thing you find out is, who are you, right? Because it's all about who are you at your base? Now, if you are a person who is very earthy, for example, you're going to find yourself needing a little help in getting motivated and starting your day. You may have a tendency to put on weight. You may have a tendency to be a little bit more sedentary. Knowing what your face tendencies are and then knowing the tools to offer the best routines for that base constitution, that base element that is you, means that what you're doing, you're doing something that's going to work for you, not something that might have worked for someone else. When I teach classes and when I do one-on-one -on -one consultations, I found myself over and over and over and over again explaining this basic premise that your wellness, your ability to be blissfully thriving is based on you understanding what who you are at your core and then understanding that and then finding out where am I in balance am I do I have too much ether so too much ether might be your I don't want to say cold but you're feeling disconnected from your emotions you may be feeling uninterested in your emotional life or your physical life, you might be all up in your head, right? There's so many ways that these imbalances show up and knowing what symptom or what your body's doing, how that correlates to an element enables you to have all these tools of breath, movement, intake, intake means food and herbs and even thoughts, you use these tools to correct the imbalance. So instead of, you know, conventional medicine, something's wrong and so, whether it's a surgery or a medication, it's a pretty hard whack to move that back into balance. But if you're using the elements and using these these simple tools, you nudge yourself back into balance. And that way you're not getting anything else out of balance when you're trying to balance um, the other things. So what it does is it also gives you like this better connection with your body and the understanding of what is it that you really need. And I'm really passionate about that because so many people are not vibrantly healthy and that 
changes everything. When you are vibrantly healthy, you are living the dream. You are, it, it's, I mean, I've, I've worked with people who have had, you know, millions of dollars in, in poor health, and I've worked with people who have had not a lot of money, but vibrant health, and I'm, it's always the second classification. People are happy when they're healthy, and you deserve that, right? Cynthia, many, many congratulations to you on your book, Your Real BMI. And I'm sure our audience will find it very, very insightful. So let's head on to the next question. How did your eight years on agricultural and environmental advisory committee shapes your perspective on local green policies? And what accomplishments are you particularly proud of during your tenure? So being on the agricultural and environmental committee, for my town was a real eye-opener. I am not good at politics. I am not comfortable or happy with politics. I'm unfortunately a bit too outspoken for that. But during the time that I was on the committee, we did as much as we could within the confines of the fact that, you know, in any given area, People have vastly different ideas of what the city or town they live in should offer and should be like. The Gardens Matter Day, I think, is the thing that I, I hope will carry on for many decades to come. We have a sister town that does a, an event called Water Matters Day and they they're really successful and they get out a lot of education so that's my hope for our town is that gardens matter day become really well known last year we had a couple hundred people it was our first event and it did very well so i'm looking forward to more and more of those incredible what Trends or innovations do you see shaping the future of sustainable living, especially in the context of urban environments? I'm super excited about the future of urban agriculture. I think we're seeing a bigger trend towards that and the European countries are probably a bit ahead of us, but rooftop gardens and vertical gardens there is a company doing something, what's it called? FarmBot. It's called FarmBot, and it's basically a, a robot that measures you know, soil moisture. It, it, it can plant, it can harvest, it can water, and it does it all based on, you know, analysis of what the plant needs. So it's really super efficient. A lot of people understand now that monocropping is detrimental to the planet and that diversity is the answer to our problems moving forward. So the there's more and more towns doing what my town did, which, which I, I applaud my town so much because they allow us to do the gardens. They allow us to, they, they support us they're looking to make our town 
more green. They're actively trying to get more gardens. There's things that can be done in, in cities that are really important, like pollinator um, corridors and things like that, to really give our insect life a place to thrive. Leaf blowers are a terrible thing. And leaf blowers are a terrible thing because most insects need leaf litter at some point in their life cycle. So the next time you see a leaf blower, just remember that's mass murder of insects. It's not only the mass murder of insects, but it's also the fact that the bacteria, you know, the, the world is regenerative by its very nature. We're the ones that have disrupted that regeneration cycle. So whether it's something as simple as not raking your leaves in the fall or composting or, or whatever, Mother Earth really has the ability to fix things pretty quickly. And I've been excited to watch the regenerative agriculture movement just speed forward. I was listening to the, um, it was a farm, farmer's conference. And instead of talking about pesticides and fertilizers, they were talking about inoculating their land with mycorrhizal networks and the bacteria that will help create a healthy soil web. So uh, I talk about this all the time. I know I'm saying it too much, but a healthy soil web is everything. When you have a healthy soil web, you basically, I like to refer to them as the Oompa Loompas, right? We all saw Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. The Oompa Loompas, the soil webs, soil web components, they're breaking down the nutrients. They're making sure they're available to the roots of the plant. They are transporting information, transporting water, transporting nutrients. It, it all happens without you doing a thing, assuming that you take care of your soil well. In your classes and workshops, what key messages do you aim to convey about the relationship between plants, health and sustainability? Are there any specific topics that resonate the most with your attendees? Awesome question, thank you. Classes, I love teaching classes. And I think the thing I like most is helping people understand the profound connection between people and plants. Every plant has its own specific makeup and it has all these compounds when you look at the various compounds inside of a plant, we've all heard of things like antioxidants, right? Which is just a small piece of the puzzle. These different constituents in a plant do different things in the body. And some of them work in the circulatory system, some work in the digestive system, some work in the brain, some work in the lungs, in the heart, etc., etc. So. If you simply increase the diversity of the plants that you eat, 
you are giving your body this pharmacopoeia of things that it can use to do repair and maintenance on your body that you may not even be aware needs to be done. The triage theory of micronutrients tells us that if you are short a nutrient, what's going to happen is the body will prioritize current needs. So future needs, rest, repair, maintenance, don't get taken care of when you are deficient in micronutrients, which a lot of us are. That's why you see people in their 30s and 40s and 50s and all of a sudden there's just like this cascade of diseases because the rest repair functions have not been done all along. When you incorporate diverse plants into your diet, it changes everything. First of all, most of us are fiber deficient. And I really believe that the value of a vegetarian diet is not necessarily just the absence of meat. I think meat isn't necessarily as harmful as some vegetarians think it might be. But I do think that when you're eating meat, you are not eating as many vegetables. So vegetables, there's so many different fruits and vegetables that it's astounding. When we were evolving, we evolved as hunter-gatherers. So we might ingest a hundred different plants in a week. The goal for everyone can be to see how many different plants you can ingest in a day or a week. And it doesn't have to be like I'm eating an entire head of broccoli. It can be what different herbs are you using? What different spices are you putting? You can make a cup of rosemary tea or sage tea or parsley tea. Or, there's so many ways to bring the magic of plants into your body. And as the more you do that, the more efficiently your body is operating and you begin to understand what you really need. So most of the cravings that we experience are either because we've been eating food that's addictive, which a lot of food is, processed food, of course, or we are craving a nutrient and we don't know how to crave the right food. So for example, sugar cravings. I find a lot of people do well by having a teaspoon of organic blackstrap molasses because it's high in minerals and sometimes those sugar cravings are really mineral cravings. But as you eat more and more diversity and as you move further and further away from processed foods, you begin to understand what you're really craving. And it seems weird, but all of a sudden you might be craving a celery stick or something like that. I always tell people when they're starting out to, and they're working on, you know, changing their life for the better health-wise, don't think about deprivation. Don't think about what am I going to not do. Add in, if you start out by just adding in, you know, six different chopped vegetables to your day that you've never eaten before or that you don't eat on a regular basis, add in more food and the more you add in healthy 
organic food, the more whole food, the more you're going to get in touch with your body and your body is going to respond. There are so many valuable constituents in what we call weeds. So, you know, dandelion is amazing. Burdock, there is, down here we have dollarweed, we have pellitory, we have hawkweed. There's a little vine that grows in my yard that has a cucumber that's about that small. Grows like mad, it's a weed. I don't have to do anything except harvest it. And I pickle it because I get so many of them. There is so much nutrition out there. And even if all that you can manage to do is grow a little herb garden in your kitchen or something, that is going to be meaningful. Because when you eat food directly from Mother Earth, grown in healthy soil, you are getting things that you can't even imagine that are doing fabulous things for your body. The, and the more you do this, the more connected to the earth you become, you find yourself operating at a slower pace, you're less stressed. And the thing that I wanna mention about anxiety and stress, you know, everyone is consuming these stimulating nervines, right? That's what we call it in, in herbalism. Caffeine is an herb and it's a stimulating nervine, right? You're constantly stimulating your nervous system, whether it's through, you know, a cup of coffee or a Red Bull or some of these other terrible things they have out there. It's okay to stimulate your nervous system sometimes when you need it. But if you want to have long-term calmness and less stress and have a body that responds in a healthy manner to stress, then you need to do your restorative and calming neurons too, which would be like chamomile and oat straw and lavender and tulsi and lemon balm and all these wonderful herbs that you can have as a cup of tea at night. And that counts towards your diversity. How can individuals find a balance between embracing a sustainable lifestyle and addressing the practical challenges that may arise in their day-to-day -day lives? This is a great question that I run into all the time. You know, especially if you're a, a, a mother or you work full-time, you've got children, where do you find the time? How do you manage to do this? And the best answer I can tell you is, first of all, the more healthy you are, the more energy you're going to have to give back to your children and to your job and, and the other things that are important to you. I do, I have some shortcuts that I use when I need to do something very quickly. My freezer, I always have a frozen organic cauliflower crust, pizza crust, right? So when I'm looking for fast food, I can pull that out of the freezer, I can chop up some veggies, I can throw it on top, and I can put that in the oven and I've got a meal in, you know, 15 minutes. There's a lot of ways that you can, if you're gonna make up a 
some beans, make up a bunch of beans and freeze some. I mean, these are all things that, that we all have heard before, and it's really just a matter of incorporating them into your life and figuring out how do you, like, what is it that your family likes to eat and how can you turn that into something that can be produced more quickly. And there's just, that's such a, a vast subject. As far as living sustainably, I, I think it's important to ask, do I really want this? Do I really need this? And is there a different way that I can do this? Because I find, again, sustainability, wellness, and budgets really work well together. You know, lentils. Lentils are a great food source. They're easy to have around because they're dried. And you can cook up a, a lentil dish in like 20 minutes. You just throw some veggies in and some spices. I encourage people to have different spice mixes in their cabinet so that if you are gonna have you know, lentils twice that week, one day you can have tandoori lentils, the next day, or the next time you have lentils, you can have some sort of um, tomato-based lentils. Like, it, there's, there's, yeah, it's all about finding variety and getting your palate used to a lot of different things. That was very insightful. So what are your plans for the future in terms of your advocacy, community initiatives, and personal business journey? I think the future is really exciting because I think that the growth of the, our understanding of regenerative agriculture, regenerative gardening, and just regenerating the planet in general is really expanding. I see more and more people who care about this stuff and I just see, I, I hope we can continue to educate in our gardens and um, work with these amazing volunteers and watch the world unfold because I think, you know, everybody's worried about this or that. And yes, we have some extreme challenges to our world right now, but the only thing that you have control over is yourself. So if you are happy and healthy, you're contributing to a happy and healthy world. And a lot of the conflict we see in the world is over resources. So if we can create an abundant world for all, if we can contribute to making sure that those resources get to the people that really need them, that makes a huge difference in our world. And I. I really do think that we are moving towards a beautiful new world full of hope and compassion and food. Do you have a final message or a piece of advice you would like to share with the audience? My final message is I would just like you all to know that you are meant to feel vibrantly alive to get out of bed in the morning and feeling excited and happy about your day. You're meant to go through your day feeling wonderful and joyful. And vibrant wellness is not as complicated as 
you might think it to be. Understanding who you are, what you need, and making sure you get those things that you need. Well, that's the answer for you to take care of you first. Thank you for this. I really enjoyed it. That's a wonderful message, Cynthia. It was an honor to have you on my podcast. What an enriching conversation it has been. Harvesting wisdom and inspiration from Cynthia Schaffer's sustainable oasis. We hope you, our audience, found valuable insights that resonate with your own eco-friendly endeavors. As we wrap up this episode of Self Talk Show, remember, every sustainable choice counts. Thank you for tuning in and follow us for more inspiring stories like these. I'm Mithali Ori signing off and until next time, let's keep harvesting harmony in our lives and on our planet.